Today we are in week two of our teaching series called Spiritual Habits. And last week we took a look at um, Scripture reading and what it takes to build a habit of Scripture reading. And we talked a little bit about forming a habit um, and systems. I get things confused in my head sometimes, what I've said and what I've written down as we prepare for 180 this week. Um, But if I didn't say it last week, I'm going to say it now. Um, The system that you create in your life is more important than the goal that you choose, right? Like when you're trying to lose weight, you can want to lose weight all you want, but what is more important is the system that you plan to put in place. Systems outweigh your goals. And so in forming a habit, we talked a little bit about last week, how creating a plan and a process is important, and we applied that to Bible reading. This week, we're going to talk about prayer and prayer life and what it means to connect in prayer with God, because prayer is our primary connection with God outside of Scripture reading, according to Wesley. One of the primary means of grace um, that we have to commune with our Creator. And so we're going to focus on a couple of teachings of Jesus, and we're going to look at how Jesus prayed and how He calls us to pray, and I'm going to give you some examples on how to build a habit of prayer in your life. But before we do that, let's take a moment and pray together. Let's pray. Awesome God, we thank you for this day, for this place, this space. Even though it's cold, Lord, we know that you are present with us at all times, whether in the good times or in the bad times, in life and in death and all things, Lord, you are with us. And we are thankful. We invite you into this time, Lord. We ask that you would use the songs, the words, and all of this worship experience, Lord, to to bring us closer to you, to let us set aside the distractions of our lives, to be at rest in your presence, to let us just be with you now. Invade this space, Lord Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. And everyone said... For those of you who know my kids, know that they are um, pretty active. I'd say that's a good definition of my children. Those of you who know my kids who are laughing know that's an understatement. But my uh, my kids are pretty active, which is one of the reasons why we had to get out of our apartment and get into a yard that we could cage them in to where they could run and not escape because they're highly active. But... My middle son, Weston, is, has recently really gotten into spy stuff, right? Like spy shows and spy movies and, and all kinds of spy stuff. And, and um, he's been watching um, Odd Squad on PBS a lot. And he's been watching Spy Kids, anything where it has gadgets and gizmos and things like that. And he just is fascinated by this technology stuff where like a juice box becomes binoculars or like and you can climb up walls and stuff, and it's kind of fun. Um, but most importantly to him lately has been like communication tools. He really likes all the, the, the computer stuff in, in all of those shows. And um, chief among them has been walkie-talkies. And a few years ago when we were making one of our trips back from southwest Kansas to Michigan while we still lived out there, we stopped at a, at a Cracker Barrel, and he at that time, I should have known it was coming, he got obsessed with these little things, and we bought these at Cracker Barrel, and it was labeled the world's smallest walkie-talkie. 
I don't know if that's true or not or false advertising, but um, we bought some, and I'll tell you, they don't work very well, but we bought them anyways um, because that's what you do with three kids at Cracker Barrel um, when you are driving across country for three days. Um, you buy them whatever you want. Maybe you don't. That's what we did because we're bad parents, but you know, we, we got these, and when we were in our apartment last year, um, we, would, we would play, and we, we have accumulated a, a plethora of, of walkie-talkies. Just, we have a bin of them now. And, but we were using these, because these are the coolest, because they're so small. And um, I was playing with Weston, and, and I was in the bedroom, and I was home base. And he was going to go explore into the basement, two stories down in our townhouse, and he was, he was going to go downstairs, and uh, he was going to walk me through it, get the bad guys and stuff, you know, because he was four then, and it was just going to be this great ex- adventure. And so my, my son, he's, he's got his little walkie-talkie, and I got mine. I'm like, okay, home base, go, home base, go. And, and, and he, uh, he grabs his walkie-talkie, and he, he goes off, and he, he pushes the button. He's like, okay, I'm going down the stairs, Dad. I'm going down the stairs. I'm, I'm going down. Uh, there's no bad guys. There's no bad guys. He's going down the stairs. And we did this whole thing for probably five, ten minutes, and he never let go of the button. Like the entire time, all I have is, and he got out of range, static, and he's shat, shat, you know. And, but the entire time he was talking, he never let go of the button, and, and it, was, it was a completely one-sided conversation. I'm like, buddy, I'm home base. You got to let me talk back here. You can't, you can't be on a mission without communicating to home base. I mean, but it's also pretty nice because I'm just laid out on his bed like, uh, yep, 10-4, good buddy you know, doing the dad thing. But um, he never let go of the button. He just kept talking and talking and talking through the walkie-talkie. You ever know anybody like that? You're sitting next to that person. Don't nod your head and you might get in trouble. Um, but, uh, you know, we, there are people in our lives, I think, that just seem, can't seem to get a word in edgewise. But um, this, this world's smallest walkie-talkie to me really does paint a good picture of what prayer um, has become a good Im- image of prayer in our uh, in our culture today. You know, we um, we tend to walk around kind of like my son with the button held down all the time, thinking that all right, God can see and hear everything we're doing in our lives, and so we just walk around with it go on all the time. And and then when uh, when no one's looking, God, will you give me a parking spot from all everything you get in there right now? We just call into home base, you know, um, or, you know, or we, 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 we're just doing our thing and we're going about our day and we just, hey God, it's me again, thanks for this food, need some money too, amen, you know, and, and we, we have this one-sided conversation and we just, God, I need something, thanks, bye. And it's a walkie-talkie kind of conversation. I think that's kind of what prayers become in our culture. Um, at least that's been my experience from the Christmas wish list prayers that I hear people give sometimes to other things. And I think a better illustration, though. You ready for the big unveiling? Uh, it's the anticipation, isn't it? Some of you know what it is because you saw it earlier. No joke, I found this old phone in my house when we bought it. And it's not that old, I know. This is a 90s phone. 
I was going to find a rotary phone or one of the ones that had a vintage one with the little hand receiver and things, but I figured that that would be too vintage for some folks. Um, I think this old school phone paints a better picture for um, a modern image of what, of what prayer should be. See, an old school phone, we find three, three concepts of prayer in this image that we don't see in this walkie-talkie. And the first is that we have an intentional conversation with one of these. You see, we have to pick up the phone with one of these. You know how long it took me to explain this thing to my son, my nine-year-old? I took almost an hour to explain how this thing worked. He had no idea what it was. He goes, what is that? What are those, what are those buttons? He's nine. He's never seen a phone like this in his life until we got our house. It still had these on the walls. We have to intentionally pick up the phone. And here's the thing. Not only that, we have to know the number to call on one of these things. There's no memory. This one has a redial. That's pretty nice. Also has a mute button. You have to know what number to call. I'm going to call you. We have to know the order of the numbers to call. Do you remember that when I was a kid? I remember when 989 came out. Whew, everything was 517, and then it was 989, and my neighbor that lived across the street was long distance, and I could never figure it out, do I need to dial 989 or 517? Does it need a 1, or does it not need a 1 for it? Growing up in the 80s and 90s. You have to know the, not only the number, but the order in which to dial the number. And then you have to wait. And you have to wait. Wait to be connected. You guys remember this? Let's see if I can make this work. Technology has been great today. We'll find out. Do you guys remember this? Come on. Oh. I paused all my sound so I wouldn't distract people in church. Turn up the volume. Does anybody remember that sound? What happens if no one, if someone's on the phone already? There's a busy signal. Or my generation's worst nightmare I'll see if this one will come through. I have nightmares that have this sound in it. And the worst part was after it connected, oh, it goes on. This is like a two-minute sound. Some of you are like, oh, nails on a chalkboard, that sound. <sighs> but once you get through, once you get through, you have to communicate. You have to actually use the transmitter. You have a message to give, right? Hello, hello, this is Tim. Yes, yes, I, I, I'm calling about. We have to speak into the microphone, right? This side. I had to explain that to my nine-year-old. This is the side you speak into, not this one. If you speak here, nobody hears you. You have to speak into this side. You have to speak clearly, and you have to be direct and to the point. And the third thing, the third part that makes this different is you have to listen to the response. There's this other side to this thing. It's a receiver, right? Receiver, receive, means to get, to obtain, to, to hear, to collect, to gather, to take, to have. Without a transmitter and a receiver, it's a telegram, right? It's a one-sided message and communication. Communications, friends, is a two-sided thing. Prayer is communication. Prayer is communication with God. And John Wesley called it a means of grace, meaning a way that we experience God every time we do it. 
and it is our connection point, one of our primary connection points with God. So today we're going to focus on Jesus' way of praying. And to do that, to, to set the stage for that, we're going to watch a short video of a paraphrase of Jesus' teaching on praying. So let's do that here for just a second. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you brought them with you this morning, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, where we're going to look at Jesus' teaching about prayer. And in this passage, we find Jesus giving clear instructions of not only what to do in prayer, but what not to do, which is kind of nice, because sometimes in Scripture we find, do this, and then later we see, don't do this, but Jesus is very clear. He's giving us both at the same time, and then telling you, here's an example. So... We're going to look through this, and we're going to see the system that Jesus gives. And if, there's, a, there's a moniker, an acronym that we use for system that I, that I often like. A system is something that saves you, you stress, time, energy, and money. And um, so this is, this is a system that Jesus put, lays out for us about prayer. And so we're going to be in, in chapter 6 of Matthew, starting in verse 5, which says, When you pray... Now, if you pray, it's assumed that you are going to pray. Just put that out there for everyone. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth. That is the reward that they, they've gotten all the reward that they're going to get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need, not what we want, the food we need. And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. So Jesus talks about three things in this passage right here. He talks, he's talking about the religious elite, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and that, he's, that he's talking to here on the Sermon on the Mount. And he's, but he's also talking about the Gentiles as well. And then he's talking about how to do it, how, he, how he's giving his instructions on prayer. But for good measure, I'm going to invite you to turn to Luke's Gospel to Luke 11, and we're going to read, I'm going to read also the, the same account from the perspective of the author of Luke, and how he describes the same events. So in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, we find this reading in this passage. Once, Jesus was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, one of the disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said, this is how you should pray. This is how to do it. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. 
Give us each day the food that we need. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. So we're going to break this down for a few minutes. Jesus' teaching on prayer. Hello? Jesus calling. And what it means to pray and communicate. And so the first thing that we find Jesus talking about is this intentional connection in prayer. See, Jesus is pretty clear in Matthew's account that, that prayer is an intentional process. It's, it has steps. There's an intentional connection process that takes place. See, and, and Jesus first looks at the Jews. He first looks at the Jews who are failing to live out the purpose of prayer. You know that prayer has purpose, right? There's a purpose to prayer. Kind of already went over that, you know, connecting with God. Yeah. Boy, I know it's cold, folks. But there's a purpose to prayer. There's a purpose. And, and the Jews, the religious leaders, were failing to live into that purpose. They were failing to use that purpose. They're missing the intentional connection with God. It's like we know that God is always reaching out to us. All the time, God is present. But they had forgotten a key component to that connection. And that was simply the fact that they needed to dial out. That was my parents' home phone number when they had a home phone. I still remember the pattern. Jesus said, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. That's how Jesus said it in Matthew 6. And it's interesting because remember, Jesus was a Jew, right? Not only was he a Jew, he was a Jewish leader and he was a, he was a teacher and a scholar himself. And last week we talked about how he taught from the, the Jewish law, the Torah, and the prophets. And he even said he fulfilled those. He didn't come to get rid of them. He fulfilled them himself. But he was saying that these religious leaders, they're two-faced, hypocrites. Later on in Matthew, he really cuts into them. And I want to share you with you one of those passages. From Matthew 23, Jesus says this about those same religious leaders. He says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, exclamation point. For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurities. Outwardly, you're like righteous people. You look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Spiritual zombies is what I like to call what Jesus is calling these people. Spiritual zombies, because they're like the walking dead. They're, they're alive on the outside, they're animated on the outside, but inside everything's a whitewashed tomb, dead inside, spiritually dead on the inside. It's a facade on the outside. You see, prayer without purpose is a facade. And we too need to heed Jesus' warning, because if we pray without purpose as those Jewish leaders were doing, then we align ourselves with the hypocrites as well. So it's dangerous. So Jesus points to this intentional connection. He says that um, when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. 
you see there's an intentional connection, which makes this a lot different than this. There's an intentional dial-out that, that happens in prayer when we pray. Because it's, it's, easy, it's easy to say, um, you know, rub-a-dub-rub, thanks for the grub every day and, and say that's our intentional prayer life. It's easy to say, you know, thank you, God, for the parking space at the mall and call that, or thank you for getting me through this test and call that our intentional prayer life. Or, or say, you know, um, please, 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 no, 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 no. And call that our intentional prayer life as we hope that we don't slide into the ditch. But when Jesus talked about people who struggled to live out their, live out their life of faith in, in the public world and in the private world, like there were two different people, like what they were doing on the outside was not the same as what was on the inside, he told them that they needed to dial it up. They needed to call in to home base. Go away by yourself, shut the door, and pray in private. And I think it's easy to see why. You see, God, God is always reaching out to us. It's like he's always on the other side of the line ready for us to call in. He's like waiting by the phone. But it's not like he's calling us constantly. It's not like the phone is ringing and we're just waiting to pick up. He's waiting for us to instigate the conversation. But he's waiting. And the thing is, is the more important the conversation is, the more intentional we are about eliminating, the, eliminating those distractions. You ever notice that? Telemarketer calls at dinner time. Do you really care what's going on in the background of your house? No, not at all. I know I don't. But if the, if the conversation is important, if you're calling someone for something important, or, or someone calls you and something major has happened, do you do everything in your power to eliminate the distractions so you can be focused on it? Yeah, because it's important. When I'm on the phone with somebody and it's important, sometimes I have to leave my house because my kids are crazy sometimes. And they're loud. And Jesus is not just talking about the spiritual practice of prayer. You see, he's addressing an actual heart issue that we deal with. And that's a relationship issue. It's a priority issue. Is your conversation with God important enough to take the time for it? Is it important enough to remove the distractions for it? Is it important enough to say, I'm setting aside this time and I need to remove those distractions, I need to turn off the TV? The question that, that came into my head as I was thinking about this, what would Jesus say to me about prayer was, are you too busy to pick up the phone and call your old man? Because Jesus is talking about the religious people. He's talking about those who believe in God, who seek to serve God. He's talking to the Jews. He's talking about people of faith. But not just that. He moves on to the Gentiles too. And the second thing he talks about is in gen with the Gentiles is that communication component. So let's move on to that. Because Jesus turns to the Gentiles as well. And the Gentiles are also struggling with their purpose of prayer, living into that. And, and he says, when you pray, 
Don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again and again. Don't be like them. For your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. You see, those Gentiles that He's talking about probably took to heart that passage, keep on asking and you will receive. But they didn't read the rest of it where it says what you ask for is really important. And to be asking for the right things. It's like um, my three-year-old daughter, um, when she watches TV and a commercial comes on for anything, pretty much anything that's being sold, her response is, I want it my birthday, I want it my birthday, I want it my birthday, I want it my birthday. You know how long a commercial is? 30 seconds? Do you know how nails on a chalkboard listening to a three-year-old scream, I want it my birthday for 30 seconds is? Pretty darn awful. And if you want to experience, come over to my house at some point and I can let you experience it. But Jesus says don't babble on and on asking the same thing over and over again. And, and it's like Jesus is saying, don't you think my Father can hear your petitions? Don't you think he can hear your prayers? Because the more you ask, the less faith it seems you have in God's ability to answer your prayer. See, I personally lean on Paul's words in Philippians 4. It's one of my favorite prayer passages. It's something that, that I've taken to heart for, for my adult life. And it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Not what you want, but what you need. And then thank Him for all that He has done. It's about recognizing what you need in life and recognizing that God has already done so much in your life. And then... And then you will find the peace in your life. You will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything and everything we can understand. And his peace will guard your heart and your mind as you live in Jesus Christ. You see, peace doesn't come from repetition and prayer. We don't just like, if I pray 17 and a half times for God to calm my heart, my heart will be calm. It's not how it works. Repetition doesn't bring peace. Peace comes when we lay our burdens, our, our petitions at the feet of Christ, at the feet of the cross, and we leave it there. And then the peace comes in the life that follows, knowing that God has heard our prayer. So Luke says that Jesus says to pray this way. This is how you should pray. This Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come. Give us the food we need. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. It's a simple pattern of prayer. Simple. Recognize who you're calling. You have to know who you're calling. Or else you have to do the, yeah, who is this? Well, you called me. Recognize who you're calling. And what do, you, what do they want from you before what you want from them is important? What is God asking of you before what you're asking of him? What does God expect? Because that's what Jesus is saying first. God, may your kingdom come, may your will be done. May your name be kept holy. 
And if that can be, if that can happen, Lord, I really need to eat today. I really need this one thing. Not I want this one thing, but I need this thing. And you have to be honest with those petitions, though. Sometimes we, we pray and we ask God for things like we, like we don't believe that God actually knows our heart. Like we can, we can lie about it or fib about it and say, God, I, I really want this, but we really want that other thing. Like we don't think God knows us. Like we can just skate by and not be honest. But we have to be genuine and honest and true. And most importantly, though, we have to be grateful. That's what Paul says. What do you need? And say thank you because God's already been at work. There's a simple acrostic that I, that I used to teach that I like, and it's just pray, the four letters, P-R-A-Y, um, that, I'll, that I'll share with you. This is a very simple way to start a practice of prayer. If you need, if you need a method, I would encourage you to use this one. Um, and it's just, all I have to remember is the word pray, and it means P stands for praise. So you start by saying a praise. Dear God, I'm thankful. I'm praising you for this thing that you've done. I praise you, God, for this. R is for repent, meaning I, I'm saying I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry for this thing that I've done. You know, I'm, I'm asking for forgiveness for this thing. A is to ask God, I, I need something, God. That's the asking part of the prayer. And, and the Y is for thank you. You take some time to say thank you. So if you need a starting point for prayer, this is a simple one. Pray. Praise, repent, ask, thank you. That's simple but the last thing that Jesus teaches in both Matthew and Luke's gospel is the thing that is often forgot in the process of prayer, and that is listening. Listening in prayer. And that's the difference between this old school phone and this walkie-talkie in my mind. When we hold this button down and talk the whole time versus picking up this phone where we're forced to talk and listen into the hand receiver. It requires both. Which is why eliminating distractions is so important. But we have to give space to listen for God. We can't just dial in. Step one, call on God prayer time, eliminated my distractions, and ringing, hello God, it's good to talk to you again, you are God, I am not, I appreciate your presence in my life, thank you for X, Y, and Z, I need you in A, B, and C, and that's all I got to say, amen. Done for the day. Check it off my list of spiritual disciplines, and I'm going to work. Now, we have to have a, a time for that listening component where we're able to prepare and we can hear God's, God's voice. And distractions are important to eliminate because if we remember in the Elijah series that, um, that we went through, Elijah didn't hear God's voice until the, the um, earthquake was over, the fire was over, the tornado was gone, until the, the ground shook, and he didn't hear God's voice until it was in the form of a whisper. He heard God in the silence. You see, guys, God not only hears our prayers, but God also answers our prayers. He answers them. Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says maybe. Sometimes he says maybe or maybe later. Maybe he says sometimes 
We'll see how things go. Sometimes, God responds to a prayer like this. Silence is an answer too. Silence can be an answer. Now, just because we don't like an answer, just because we don't like an answer, it doesn't make the answer not right, it doesn't make it not true, and it doesn't make it not God's answer. But we have to be able to stop speaking long enough to hear. We have to be able to hear above all the other noises to hear that still, small voice that speaks into our hearts. So let's review and recap for just a minute. To build a spiritual habit of prayer, we must first dial out. Can't forget to dial out. Dialing out means we have to cut out the background noise, and we have to dial the number and connect to the one true God who can actually, who actually is the one who is the creator, the one who is and was and is to come. And we must speak with God, second. Articulate what and who and why. What we need, what we hope, what we desire. We have to speak clearly. And we have to trust in the one who is able to keep us from falling. And before, before we, we hang up the phone, we have to listen. We have to give God the space to speak to us with no distractions, with no, no timetables, with, with no expectation, but to let God speak and to open ourselves up to what God would have for us in that prayer. Because the purpose of prayer is to commune with our Creator. And that's it. To commune with our Creator. To have a relationship. A strong relationship. And the only way you can have a strong relationship is to be in communication with someone. And to communicate means two people, two ways. Both speaking, both listening. And without both, you're not communicating. Let's pray. Holy God, we are grateful for your constant presence in our lives and world. We seek to live into relationship with you, to sit with you, to speak with you, to hear from you. And now, Lord, together we join our voices to pray in the way your Son, our Savior, taught us to pray so long ago when he said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.